What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I am your host, Danny Morang, and this week we have another guest co-host. Uh, you may recognize her, uh, maybe by name, I guess, with, uh, I don't know, did you guys ever do uh, a little bit of video at all, Kendall? We didn't, no. There you go. Well, so this... I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if my face has ever been public. <laughs> there you go. Coming out from the shadows, Kendall Bennett, you may recognize her from the Women's Hoops Talk podcast with my former co-host, Tara Bowen Biggs. Kendall, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. I know it's, it's been a while since I've been in the Blazers Edge world, so excited <laughs> to be back. Well, uh, speaking of excited to be back, the NBA season is officially going to be back July 31st. Uh, this is something over the last couple of weeks here we've hinted at. Um, that was kind of the idea that was the league was going to go with when you heard that not only the season's coming back, the Blazers are going to be a part of it. What were your kind of first thoughts? Yeah, I mean, obviously, as a basketball fan – my first thought was like, I'm excited to have basketball back. Um, but then the logistics of it, obviously you start kind of worrying, like, is it going to be good basketball? Is it, gonna, is it the right decision to make with the timing? So you kind of start worrying about all of that. So I've gone back and forth. I think, I think I've kind of, my ultimate conclusion is I'm excited for it. And I think that it's going to be very competitive, even if it is kind of sloppy um, at first, I think it will be very competitive and that excites me a lot. So I think, that's, for it. I think that's the important part there. You, you emphasize how good is the basketball going to be. And I don't, I don't necessarily yeah. know that it's going to be the best brand of basketball, but considering all the circumstances surrounding it, are we really going to complain about the level of, of play? I mean, even like yeah. preseason basketball, I think people would be jonesing for right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the first eight games are going to be kind of sloppy. I think it's going to be, some, I, especially that I think there's some teams like teams like the Blazers, who, you know, you get, have players coming back who've had even longer breaks than these three months. Um, I think it's, it's going to be kind of hard to watch at first, but I think everyone's just going to be so excited to finally see basketball again that it's, they're going to be looking past that a little bit. Little road um, but I think by the time, yeah. And I, but I think by the time that the playoffs start especially once you get to like the second round I think it's gonna be fine because I think these players too like when they come into preseason they use they don't take it quite as seriously and I think this is different in the sense of they're gonna be more they're gonna come in and take it so much more seriously from day one um, so I think they're gonna kind of snap back into shape a lot faster yeah this is something we kind of we talked about a couple of weeks ago there's probably a candidate or two out there for the Ray Felton award yeah. coming back into the season yeah. maybe not in the best not necessarily in portland i, I think uh the injured guys uh zach and nurk are gonna be looking looking good i, I mean i saw nurk you know getting ready uh, before the season ended he actually looked a little bit lighter than he had in the past um zach mm-hmm. i mean feed the kid a cheeseburger i mean he still he could still yeah. play, he could afford to put on like 25 more pounds and be totally fine um, but yeah. there's going to be, there's going to be an old head out there who was like, ah, the season's over. We don't have to worry about this. Who all of a sudden is like, oh, crap, I got to get in shape. And I'm just, I'm just yeah. wondering who that guy is going to be. And they have some time though. They, I mean, they know now here's the date that I need to be ready by. So those guys, it's kind of like, they have no excuse at this point where it's like, you have, think. I mean, realistically when, when do they start training camp? It's like mid-July or early July. Yeah. So the, they the have official a training they, camp, yeah. Yeah, they have, they have about a month to get it together. So they don't really have an excuse when it comes to that. So Listen, we'll, I, I, there still will be a couple. There'll be a couple. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you, you're, you're hedging yeah. a little bit there. There's going to be at least 
yeah. one, probably two, we were like, ooh, that – I mean, guys aren't going to be in game shape. Like, that's, 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 that's yeah. the reality. Um, speaking of, C.J. McCollum as, as the vice president of the MVPA has pushed for the NBA to allow guys to get back in a bit sooner so they can get some one-on-one going. I mean, I, yeah, I, I understand that, yeah. the league trying to protect its players, so to speak, as far as controlled environments. But if they're going to mm-hmm. play, they kind of need to play, right? Yeah. Which they don't want to risk them getting injured as well. So they have to be able to get them ready for that as they have to put them in a position where they're ready. Because his thing was he pushed for like more contact in yep. the practices and like starting that earlier. And that's something where like if they practice – without contact for all this period of time, then all of a sudden they start playing. Like that's going to bump up the chance of being injured as well. So it's hard because it's like, it's like, what, what is the right thing to do? It's like, maybe like people think about it. It's like, Oh, well it's what's more important protecting them from injuries or protecting them from COVID. And it's like, everyone's going to have a different opinion on that of what's more important to them. I get that there's going to be a difference of opinion on that but i think if you if you're going to do this you have you you can't just put your toes in the water kind of a situation yeah. right like if you're going to do this you just need to do it like guys need to play guys like it needs to be like kind of a fully invested kind of a deal and i get that there's inherent risks cuz because you don't have an entirely controlled environment but no matter what you do it's not going to be an entirely controlled environment even even in the bubble it's still not going to be perfectly controlled there's always going to be an interaction there's always going to be something and all it takes is, is, you know, one thing to happen and then who knows. Yeah. And I guess that's the kind of league's position is they're trying to minimize that entirely. But yeah. I don't think you can necessarily, I think you, don't, you need to operate this responsibly, but not out of complete fear. Because if yeah. you're doing it, Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens though, because they said basically if someone ends up testing positive, they're going to keep going. But if one person tests positive, they've been most likely they've been contagious for a few days. So it's like, they're probably not going to be the only one. It's like, at what point would they kind of shut it down again? Like if it also spirals and it's like, okay, well this entire team is out. Is it just like, well, sorry, (laughs) like that team team is out. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of like, I wonder, I'm sure they have to be thinking about that. They all have a plan, but it's like, how uh, what is the right way to handle that well the attempt is uh, we got it from Woj last night is that there's going to be a pool of players basically that are going to be eligible to join a team it's going to be a lot more free-flowing than it would would be under normal NBA circumstances and that yeah. those teams can join teams who have a player either receive a serious injury or test positive during the eight game lead-up now those oh, rules are that. Was yeah, that, is, is that like from the teams that have been eliminated or I believe the pool is, is going to be like free agents. Oh, so okay. c- currently current free agents who a guy like Mo Harkless, who didn't sign with the team. Like he could potentially be somebody who could, who could join one of the teams if somebody got injured yeah. or if, you know, somebody tests positive. And I think that's something that they clearly have to think about. They have to allow a little more fluidity in the roster situation yeah. just because this is kind of a unique situation, right? Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see because then it's like how how good a shape is then that player going to be in and how much are they going to help? And yeah, I feel like it's just – I feel like this could go really smoothly or this could crash and burn very quickly as well. <laughs> I think those are probably the two likely scenarios. Either you, even going smoothly, yeah. one or two people test positive. 
Um, yeah. I, I, I ultimately, I think that would probably be a, a, an optimal situation where you only have like one or two people come back positive. Cause the, the reality is I think somebody's going to test positive. Like yeah. just even in a controlled environment, it's still going to happen. Even if some it's not ways. a player, it's going to be a staff member or a coach yeah. or it's someone. Yeah. It'll be interesting to kind of see how that part of it plays out, but the league is, is, is clearly looking at it as we saw last night. Um, the, the exact quote is sources told ESPN and league and teams are already discussing how teams will be able to utilize players on two-way contracts, a conversation revolving around safety, practicality and competition that will surely be a part of the ramp up. So two ways and unrestricted free agents that are in that pool. I, I know we're in that discussion. So, Again, they're thinking. They're trying to think ahead. They're trying to be proactive. They're trying to understand that things are probably aren't going to go exactly the way you want them to, and you have to allow for a little bit of fluidity. What's going to be interesting here is if a team like the Lakers, perhaps, uh, have their thirteenth guy get injured, and all of a sudden one of those unsigned guys who's more than just a fourteenth guy, like a Mo Harkless, all of a sudden is available to sign. So how they limit those kind of situations. Uh, will be interesting to see who tries to manipulate that the most because realistically if, if you're not if you're not trying to manipulate it you're not trying yeah that's, that's just yeah kind of how that situation goes yeah the conspiracy theories are going to come out of it did he actually test positive it, like all of that's uh-huh. gonna start happening. Well, listen, listen i'm here for that give me give me all yeah. of the conspiracy listen if the nba is coming back it better come back with all of its weirdness tinfoil hat wearing Kyrie yeah. stuff i want it all give me every last bit of the weirdness yeah well yeah because then it that's a good argument with Kyrie I mean bringing up I don't think this is what you're Mm -hmm. getting at but it's you're looking at teams like Brooklyn who some of their their star players are not even going to be coming back so are they then qualified to get one of those guys automatically because they have a smaller roster so then it's like because they can try to argue a really good point yeah because it's like Hey, we we are coming in without a full roster. So how is that more fair if we start with without a full roster versus a team who has a full roster and just loses a guy and that gets replaced? So it's like, I wonder if they're going to try to push that. How they're going to handle that? Listen, because that's I, a valid argument. I mean, Sean Marks has has been has shown that he's pretty shrewd with a lot of things. So I wouldn't be surprised yeah. at all to see uh, them try to try to pull something off. Um, but I didn't think about that. That's a good. That's a really good point. I like that. Um, yeah. We did open this up for um, some questions. Uh, it's a slow week, obviously, with everything. But uh, one of them we did get in. Um, it, I think when we're talking about the Blazers in particular returning to play, I want to use this kind of as a springboard because this is this is the one topic that everybody has questions about. It doesn't matter how much you follow the team or, or who you're pulling for, who you're rooting for. The big question is Nurkic and Whiteside, Whiteside and Nurkic. Will it work? How will it work? How won't it work? Yeah. How much it'll impact? So we got this from the real R dub. How do you think this will affect the re-signing of Son Whiteside now that Nurk and Collins are ready? Is this potentially a dress rehearsal for next season? Uh, I, I don't even no. think we can get to <laughs> next season yet. I think we have to see how it works with just those three. Uh, well, also, realistically, if you're just looking on paper, we, I mean, Whiteside is not going to get the same money that he's currently making. He, I don't think, like, there's no way he's doing that. No. But unless he takes a huge pay cut, we can't re-sign him, nope. no matter what. So it's like, unless he wants to take, I mean, I, I don't. I don't remember exactly what the – well, they, they only know what the cap space is going to be because they that's, might be changing it now. Again, that's so that's, that, that changes it too. But, um, yeah, so it's like unless he's willing to take 
less. I mean, it's it's gonna be a very very small amount, and I don't see him doing that. I don't I don't see him being willing to do that. And that's the thing. He's he's thirty one years old. He's probably on his last chance to get a real multi year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this this podcast has always been team secure the bag. It's very player friendly on the salary front, um, but the situation that the Blazers find themselves in both financially uh, as far as what limitation they may or may not have based on the salary cap, because even by getting these eight games and even getting the playoffs in the revenue is still going to take a hit. That's just the reality of it. They're going to end up missing about 12% of the games. So I think it's Mm -hmm. pretty fair to assume that a 12%, 12 to 15% reduction in the salary cap is probably likely. Um, And that doesn't, you know, impact how you know ad revenue is actually going to come in for the league because obviously they're not only are they playing these games they're playing these games where not in home stadiums not in home stadiums where there's attendance so there's a lot of revenue that's still going to be lost so that salary cap table is going to get hit pretty damn hard now as far as the basketball side of things this is where i think it gets a little interesting i am very much against the idea (laughs) of Nurk and Whiteside on the floor at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't like that. I, I know that. I, I think it's going to happen a couple times that they're going to test it. They're going to see. You have to test it. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you have to. You never know. They might pull it out and it might be insane, but I, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Nurk is, visibly looks like he's lost some weight and looks like he's a little bit svelter. Looks like he may have a yeah. little bit more lateral quickness to him. Um, which is kind of hilarious to think about when you're talking about a guy coming off a compound fractured leg. Um, yeah. But I don't want him on the perimeter guarding Giannis. Like that's just, no. that's not what I want to see happen. Um, yeah. I, I get the whole idea of, Oh, it'd be great rim protection. It's like, yeah, how about everything else? <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I get it. Um, but you have two guys who naturally want to anchor themselves to the paint. One as a big-time shot blocker in Hassan Whiteside, and one as a premier like high-level IQ defender in Yusuf Nurkic, who knows how to funnel guys away, how to play with uh, – or how to challenge a shot without fouling, how to force a kick-out pass. Um, and who can shoot. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Is, is, is Nurk an elite shooter? No. But he can work that free-throw line jumper. Yeah. Um, Hassan has shown he – does have a little bit of range. He stepped out of the three-point line, but I don't know if you yeah. want to try to space the floor with uh, Nurk and Whiteside. Um, I mean, both of them want to gravitate towards the rim. That's just kind of their natural what would that lineup? I've thought about that. Like, I, I've had friends ask me, and they say, like, if they were to do that and they started or at any point in the lineup they had Nurk and Whiteside at the four and five, like, mm-hmm. who would you want as the three, ideally, in that situation? And I'm like, I don't even know what – I would want <laughs> like I feel like I don't have a strong opinion of what I would want because I'm like it just seems like such a weird situation mm-hmm. that I'm like I don't even know at that point what would be the best I think the only way you could really do it you have to have, have to have a premier wing defender so it that pretty much limits you to Ariza or Gary Ariza, yeah it's it's one of those two guys um, the problem is if you have those guys on the floor you don't have primary creators and if you just have Dame out there, you only have one. So it has to be Dame and CJ or Dame and Ant or CJ and Ant. You have to have guys who have the ability to create their own shot. 
Like that's a, a must have because Whiteside and, and Nurk, they're not creating shots on their own. They need, they need to be fed. Well, Nurk, yeah. Nurk doesn't necessarily, you can post Nurk up and he can go get you a bucket. Hassan, I don't know if I necessarily trust that uh, as much. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think optimally in that particular situation, you probably go Dame, CJ, Gary, or Trevor, and then Nurk and Whiteside. Uh, even then that's, that's a weird, that's just weird. Yeah. I mean, even, even for like late nineties basketball, that's weird. That's, yeah. That's, and that's why when people have asked me that, I'm like, that's what I've, a lot of times I've said, but I'm like, I don't feel comfortable saying that. Like that lineup does not make me feel comfortable. So I'm like, there isn't one that I feel like good about. So I'm like, maybe like they'll have to do it at some point. Like they'll, they'll try it out, but it's, it's going to be weird to watch. Terry Stott's going like full on mad professor will happen. He, he does do that. Um, yeah, but the spacing, it's just, yikes. That's, it's hard yeah. for me to really wrap my head around how effective that'll be. Um, but here's the thing, again, kind of getting back to the whole Nurk White side, side of this. The big question I think everybody has is who starts, who gets the most minutes, who closes? I, I've kind of said my piece on this, so I want to kind of tip this one to you. Which which way do you think it go? Who starts the game? Um... I think right off the bat, I think they are going to start Nurk. And I think that's the smart decision to just like see and kind of give him the shot mm-hmm. because I think he's kind of earned that. Um, we'll see how that goes. I mean, they might change that depending on how he plays. Um, in a perfect world, like if he comes back and he's strong and everything's fine and it's not a concern about his play or whatever, I would want to see him starting and closing for oh, the most part. Okay. Uh, maybe not in all situations i think it probably depends on where the game is at the end Mm -hmm. um but in a i would want that more so i think just because this has been an unpopular opinion to a certain extent i just don't have a lot of faith in Whiteside. i I don't enjoy watching him play like i am stressed out watching him play so like i've only i've because i'm in la um i've only i have i've only been to one actual like blazer game at the moda center this last Mm -hmm. season i saw both times when they came to LA and played the Clippers, I went to both of those games. Um, I refused to go Lakers game, so I didn't go to those. But um, uh, so I've only seen him play three times in person this last season. And all three times, I was just like, it just made me even more so in person, just like angry to watch him. Because it's like, <laughs> I, it just, every time, like it just, it just bothered me. And I get, I, like, I get that obviously he, especially later in the season, like he was really improving. He wasn't, doing the same things mm-hmm. that he was doing at the beginning. Like he wasn't getting yelled at as much for just walking around and standing there, but it, it's still, it's like those times when he does that, it just makes me completely lose faith in him. So maybe if this is, I mean, this is kind of a very biased opinion, but like the, I, I don't, I would rather not have him out there at the end, unless they really feel like depending on the specific game, it's fitting. So safe to assume you're team Nurkic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, listen, I, I just didn't expect that from you. That was, that was, yeah. uh, that was a Dan level rant. That was pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, I don't even know. Like, that's kind of what I've said for most of the year. So it was a little, a little surprising. I didn't expect that one. Um, yeah. I always have people who aren't Blazers fans. They'll, they'll be like, Oh, like, 
uh, what do you, what, what do you want to have happen where Nurt, Nurt comes back? And I'm like, I want Whiteside to stay on the bench as much as possible. <laughs> like that's my initial reaction. And people, I think a lot of people are like, no, but he's doing better. And like, look at his stats. I'm like, yeah, like he's that guy that like, if you don't watch the game and you look at his stats, you're like, oh, this guy is amazing. Like this guy is great. Look what he's doing. And then you watch the game and you're like, okay, like, yeah, his stats are great, but like, look at so, look at all the things he did that are like really terrible in that game. <laughs> like, look at all the missed opportunities, like look at all the problems he caused. Mm. Not always, but like, it's like he might have crazy stats, but he still all looked at a game and be like, he lost that game for us, even though his stats are great. Like, there were just so many situations like that with him. Like, he's just such an interesting player in that sense that like, he's one of those people that like you can't rely on his stats at yeah. all, which a lot of players can't, but like he's one, especially that's like his stats. I feel like do not really represent him as a player. I think that's, that's true of him in this exact situation in Portland because of what they need their big to do. Yes. Like, I don't think how many people, I don't think many people realize the sin, how many sins Yusuf Nurkic covers up for on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. And not that Hassan doesn't do that too. He does do that, but not to the extent that Nurk does. And I just think it's a lot of that hinges on the relationship and the, the time spent. And I, I think it takes some time to learn that, to know when to step up, know when to drop off, know when to challenge, know when to switch, know when to foul, when to challenge, when mm-hmm. to stay down. Like those are all things that come with time, especially in, in, a, in a defense where so much of it is reliant upon the big uh, being that guy at the rim. And, and Hassan as a rim protector has been very good. Um, he's a, he's he's probably the best shot blocker in the league. I know he had the you know I'm the best rim protector in the league. I call him the best shot blocker in the league. I think those are two different things. I'd say the best rim protector yeah. in the league is 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 Rudy Gobert. Gobert knows how to not only block shots but how to challenge, how to do so without fouling, how to not jump uh, at every single pump fake. Every well, I don't think players coming into Portland are scared of Whiteside. I don't think there's very many players who go in and they're like stared to play against him. Where the same way, like there are a lot of players you hear where it's like Rudy Gobert is someone that's like intimidating to play Mm -hmm. against for a lot of players. I don't think Whiteside is as intimidating. Like he's not that person as much. I don't think, I think he can be to a certain extent, but I don't think he's that person that's like, if you were to talk to a lot of players and they say like, Oh, who are the like defensive players that like, if you see them on the schedule, they're coming up, you have to really like, think about that and you start like looking forward or looking Mm. ahead to that I don't think he's really that player a whole lot even though I I think it to it a little bit but he's not nearly as much as someone like Rudy Gobert or something I think that's that's an interesting concept to think about as far as like how you're attacking somebody in the game or I think you're on to something in a sense I think the one thing that he does do and you can see this over the course of a game if he gets like three early blocks guys stop wanting to come inside because he is a, a premier shot blocker. I think that's the one mm-hmm. thing where he can alter mindsets he, after sending a few out. Um, but I think you may be on to something. I don't yes. think going into a game. No, exactly. And I think that's, yeah. that's the difference between the two. When you're talking about the levels of defenders, I think that he has the ability to alter a game plan when he is really locked in and blocking shots mm-hmm. and being that aggressive guy who's out there just sending everything out. But I think it is, you're right. I think it is different yeah. that, when you're going up against a Joel Embiid or a Rudy Gobert or a one of those types or, you know, Giannis or any of those guys, you know that 
the amount of space they can cover as defenders, as rim protectors, as help defenders, as weak side helpers, um, their length, their, their strength, their reach, their ability to kind of cover that ground. That, I think that's in, not only that, to have a severely advanced high-level defensive IQ. Like, that's yeah. really what separates most guys at this level is just how they think about the game, how they anticipate their ability to to be there a step sooner, to not buy on a pump fake, to understand what an offense is trying to do. And I think there are just guys who do it better than Hassan on, on that side of things. Yeah. Well, you always know what you're getting with players like Gobert or Giannis or something. You always know what you're going to get. And with or with Whiteside, like, you don't always know. Like, sometimes you're like, he might not even try. <laughs> like, he might not even try to block my shot. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes, like, I think players go in knowing, like, there's a chance that he just might not be doing that tonight. I mean, that's, that's and like, the reality. Really, yeah, and you don't really get that with like – I don't think there's ever players that go in looking at Giannis like, uh, I don't think he's going to really try to block my shots tonight. Like, I don't think any player has that mindset where Whiteside is kind of like, yeah, like there's a chance that he might just not really put a lot of effort in tonight. I think less so as the season went on, mm-hmm. but especially at the beginning and it was like – who knows like he might just be walking around all night not doing a lot it might take the second half for him to actually start start trying to block these shots and really be aggressive like that so it's I think that's the thing is like it's the consistency of it is that with these other players that's the they point. know con- consistently this is what they're gonna get going against Rudy Gobert going against Giannis but with um, even with Embiid sometimes, that's mm-hmm. even something that people have said where like, he can be inconsistent. So I think it's very similar to the sense where it's like, yeah, like when they are aggressive, when they are playing at their top level, they're definitely difficult to play against. They're scary to play against, but you know there's a chance that you're not going to get that. Yeah, and I think the consistency part is, is probably the the fairest part of the criticism because the whole idea of um, the dominance that we see from Whiteside in some quarters. I mean, just absolutely ins- Like he's had multiple double doubles in a single quarter this season mm-hmm. or in single halves. Yeah. And you're just like, good Lord. Like the impact you can see, you know, he's got 10, 12 and four in 15 minutes of action. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? And then he, there have been times where for entire quarters and, and Joe and I talk about this during the scene, you, you don't even know he's out there, which is such a strange yeah. thing for somebody who's, you know, seven foot, 280 pounds. Um, And And that's what's so frustrating about it is like, I would rather, rather have him not play to that top level, but have it be balanced out more. Mm. And I I don't want this to turn into like a a, a white side bash session. (laughs) Yeah, no, and and it's not, it's just when we're, when we're talking about particularly white side versus Nurkic, and it's not necessarily verse. I, I think that the way Portland looks at this I don't think mo- even the people who have a, an, an issue with with Whiteside's play or contribution or effort consistency any of those things. I don't think it's necessarily just an entire reflection of Hassan Whiteside as much as it is an entire reflection of Hassan Whiteside against Yusuf Nurkic. Yes, and it's not like Nurk hasn't had moments of where we're sitting here going, "Hey, hey, big fella, I need you." Remember the flip shots? Yeah. We all remember the flip shots. It drove everybody yeah. insane. It's like, "Hey, big fella, how about you use that two hundred eighty-five pound frame and you dunk it on somebody?" And yeah. he, he got away from it, but it took him a little bit of time. But I, I think yeah. that a lot of the conflict and the strife among Blazers fans as, as it pertains to Son Whiteside is not necessarily directly solely at him, but directed more so as he stands against Yusuf Nurkic and how many people love Nurk. 
Well, especially coming like when Nurk got injured, he was having a insane season. He was seventeen, so 12, I think and it was four and two. Like he was, and it was his impact was even more than what the box score was. That's I think the, the contrast. Yeah. yeah. So it was like he he got injured kind of in his peak. Mm-hmm. So people, it was kind of like people had forgotten about the inconsistency because it was like, look at what he's doing right now. Look what he's been doing this for these past couple months, and then. Whiteside came in it was just like such a huge difference that it like it definitely highlighted that a lot more so people had a, were much harsher on because of that like I definitely I know I'm guilty of that but um but yeah it's it'll be interesting to see them play together because I think that it will I'm curious if it kind of in a way inspires Whiteside mm-hmm. to kind of do some of the things as nerd like if it puts him in a position where it kind of like like he almost wants to imitate certain things Nurk does. I'm curious if he sees that and like actually seeing that on the floor, maybe we'll encourage him to do that a little bit more um, or just the level of effort that Nurk puts in the entire game, like just even that inspiring white side. So I'm curious to see if that has any impact of just like playing next to him of like, is it going to push him to really want to, or just to bring the competitiveness out of being like, I don't want to be second best to Nurk. It that, maybe just puts him in a position where it's like, he's like, no, I want to, I want to start. I want to be yes. this person. And he wants to fight for that. And so. that's where I wanted to kind of tie this, this whole conversation off with. Tassan Whiteside, as we started talking about at the beginning of this, is up for a new contract. If nothing else, if absolutely nothing else, this is his last chance to perform before hitting for agency. And so it's incumbent upon him to be as good as he can be to yeah. deliver to the highest level. And I think that, mixed with the whole idea of competing directly for those minutes as people like to say somebody's always trying to take off of your plate there's always somebody trying to and which will overcome the other is it Hassan wanting to get that next contract which again I don't begrudge players for doing that because that's just the economy of the league you have to last time he was in that situation too he took advantage of it yes when he was in Sacramento he put up nasty box score stats and even on the negative marks, Pat Riley and the Heat were like, hey, we can do something with this. And for a time, they did. And so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that situation plays out. I think of all of the things coming into this restart, how that situation goes. And we did this without even talking about Zach Collins because Zach Collins wants to play more of the 5-2. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all kind of comes uh, all comes together there. Uh, just kind of progressing into the, the Blazers themselves coming back because I want to pull all the, put all the swords away on Hassan Whiteside for a little while. Um, <laughs> but the, the Blazers are returning to basketball. They're going to have an eight-game season. Uh, they voted against the, the, the 22 team because they wanted the 20 team. And from what I've been able to gather, they basically just wanted a better chance of being able to get in. But obviously, with the 22 team, you do have more teams in there. But I think one of the other things that kind of got altered here is that in a 20-team proposal, the Blazers were probably much more likely to play the Memphis Grizzlies twice versus the 22, where now the New Orleans Pelicans will play the Grizzlies twice. And there's that. And then I had heard that there there had been an idea that if Portland were to have a rough go of it in this eight-game return, they wanted some assurances and protections that the negative record would be reflected to increase their lottery odds. So there's, they kind of wanted to have their cake and eat it too, but ultimately it looks like they're going to get the 22 team format. They're going to get the eight game run up. 
then we obviously we have this the the play-in potential play-in, part yeah. of this. Eight games, three and a half back. Do you think that Portland is the team that at bare minimum gets to be in the play-in portion of this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you looked at the other teams up for it, what it's the it's the Suns, the Kings, which are both like teams that haven't proven themselves. They don't. They're young. Not saying that they can't do it, but it's like they don't. They don't have the track record. The other team that I think is really just the competitor would be the Spurs. Mm. I think they're the only ones. But even then, it's like they haven't really proven themselves a whole lot this year as as being a super well, then, strong and the contender. Pelican, and the Pelicans do have. Zion and, and Drew yeah. and B.I. And I think that the, the weird thing is, is that you take a look at a team like the Kings, and I know a lot of people have counted them out. They're the youngest of the bunch outside of Memphis, probably. So yeah. as far as like being able to be ready quickly, that's something they can probably do. The other part of this is they, they were playing really good basketball. If you remember, the Kings lost to them, kind of, or the Blazers lost to them going down the stretch. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't be hard for me to see the Kings kind of push up, but I think they have probably too much ground to cover. The big thing here, at least for me, is the Blazers have Damian Lillard, which nobody else has. And if you look at yeah. all the other remaining teams, Jaw at, with the Grizzlies is the guy who reminds me most of Damian Lillard as far as his leadership and how he just kind of wills victories. Uh, yeah. He doesn't put up the most impressive box score, but neither did Damian Lillard in his rookie year. I, I think there's a lot of intangible leadership who, where he fits. He's the point guard ethos of grit and grind version two. He's got some of that Tony Allen, that that absolute dog in him. We've seen from Damian Lillard, who when push comes to shove, he just won't let his team lose. So I think Memphis is still, as weird as it may sound, a bit of a front runner for that spot and at least to get in the play-in. And then I ultimately think it comes down to Portland and New Orleans, and it's how the schedule plays out more than anything. Because I think Portland's not going to be short on firepower. They're going to be a little shorthanded, obviously, without Rodney Hood. But how the situation plays out, and I guess we'll touch, touch on this real quick, We've, we've hit Nurk and Whiteside. We're both in favor of Nurk starting. Um, Collins and Carmelo. Yeah. Who starts, who meets the minutes, who, who finishes? I, I, again, I, I've kind of said my piece on this. So who do you think starts, who gets the minutes, who should play, who should close? Where, where do you stand? So I think to start off, I think they should still start with Melo. Um, because I think – just with Zach because of how young he is still mm-hmm. and coming off of that injury, I think they should give him some minutes off of the bench to start um, and then kind of see how he's playing. And if he did, is back to where he was when he got injured, and then I, I would want to start him over Mello. That being said, then you have to start considering how is that going to affect Mello. Mm-hmm. And I think that he has to a certain extent like proven that he is different now. He's changed, but at the same time, like he's still been starting. So he still, as much as he's saying like, oh, I'm here, I know my role, all this, he's still been starting. So is he going to still have, (laughs) yes, is he still going to feel the same way if he gets benched to a young guy who just came back from injury? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I would, I would like to think so, but I don't, we don't know how that's going to play out. So I think in a perfect world, if Zach comes back super healthy, he's everything's great, he's playing great, Mello can handle that, I would want to start Zach. But so th- if that's not how that happens, if yeah. Edo's getting in the way and all of that, or Zach doesn't come back full strength or whatever it may be, then I would say Mello. But I think Mello should start for the first, like, two games maybe. So this is where 
something's going to be broken as far as like the unwritten rules of the NBA. The idea that you can't lose your spot to injury, which Zach is the incumbent starter, even if it was only three games, he is the incumbent starter. And a promise that was likely made to Carmelo Anthony that if he came to Portland, he would start and get X minutes. So which one of those things get broken? Which is more important to Portland now or in the long term? Is it better to honor a commitment that was likely made to Carmelo Anthony? Is it more important to keep the future big man of your roster who's going into the final year of his rookie deal and Zach Collins happy? Or are they both okay with, with the situation? There could be much ado yeah. about nothing here. Like they both – like yeah. Melo could start and Zach could be totally okay with that. Or Zach could start and Melo could be totally okay with that. We just, we just don't know. I, I'm just really interested to see how that dynamic plays out. After Nurk Whiteside, it's Melo Collins. Like how the, how the Blazers' front court looks when they return to basketball, not only just how they perform, but who's out there and when they're out there and who they're out there with are some of the most interesting questions of all the teams returning. So who, so in your opinion, then who would your be, who for the three, four, obviously I'm assuming Ariza. Yeah. So who would, who would your starters be then? It's, Mel- so it's, it's say- Mello Nurkic. And it, it's not okay. because I think that uh, Mello is a better option or this, that, and the other. I believe that the established standard of the 16 year future hall of famer being told X, Y, and Z is going to take precedent over the third year player. Yeah. And, and- Plus I think that, Someone like Mello in a situation like this where every single game is going to be so competitive, mm-hmm. you're going to need the best out of every player. It might be better to have someone like him where starting might help give him that ego boost to help him and like the confidence to really push through where someone like Zach, I don't think that he's really in a place where he needs that. I think that he's yeah. like, he seems very like, Zach seems like one of the more humble guys in that sense where mm-hmm. I don't think that him not starting is going to, really drastically affect his play especially where mellow it it might. To, yeah especially as it pertains to the, like how weird this season has been i, I would i would yes. think that zach probably wants to just get out there and play and I, that, yeah. that was that would be kind of the way that i would go with it um especially coming off the bench to someone like mellow yeah. i don't i think if he was coming off the bench to some random guy it might be different but it's like it's mellow and i think especially as a younger player, he's probably like the respect is there in the sense of like, okay, if I'm going to come off the bench, like it's to mellow. I can justify that. Like, I'm not going to take that offensively. I'm not going to, that's not going to hurt my ego. And if Mello was coming off the bench, if he was coming off the bench for LeBron, that's, that's a different story than if he's coming off the bench for the third year guy. And again, it's not because it's Zach. It's because it's a third year guy. Like mellow has been in the league almost as long as Zach's been alive. And that's, that's just a reality situation. I mean, he's been in the league 16 years. Zach's what, 22? So, I mean, yeah. Zach Collins hasn't known an NBA that didn't have Carmelo Anthony in it. Um, yeah. So, again, that, that's going to be interesting to see how that part of it all plays out. And we'll kind of tie it all together with, with, with this. When you look at this Portland team and how they're coming back and all these questions, how good of a chance do you think they have of actually making it through the eight games and into the into the um, the play-in game and actually making it to the playoffs. And do you care? Uh, I definitely care. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I before all this happened, before quarantine, before when it was just looked as this was a regular season, mm-hmm. I had 
pretty much written off the season already because I was like, even if Nerd and Zach come back the last month, like it was just the point where I'm like, it was just not, it just wasn't looking good. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. just kind of had lost hope to a certain extent. It was kind of like, okay, like just get through the season, make it till next year. Um, but I think with this, like this gives me more hope because I think they're coming back. Like the way you hear the players talking, they're so energized about it. And they, they're very confident in themselves. Dame is super confident about it. And that gives me a lot of confidence in the sense of like, I think that they have a very, I think they, in my mind, like they definitely are the favorite to take the eighth seed, whether it be through the play-in or not. Um, so I think they have a very good chance. Like, they definitely are the favorite to me. And I think that if you're looking at it, it probably is going to be it's a Lakers-Blazers matchup. And, like, I'm not going to sit here and, and say, oh, I'm going to favor the Blazers. But I don't think that's going to be an easy series. That's definitely not going to be a – that's not going to – Lakers aren't going to walk away with that. No. Um, especially – like some with someone like Dame who like he's gonna come in like pissed about all of this and he's mm-hmm. going to want to prove a point he's gonna want especially with all the you know there's always the rumors about Dame going to the Lakers and all this and that's gonna pick up even more if they're playing each other in a series and I think he's gonna come out and then Melo's playing against LeBron and it, it I think it's just gonna mm-hmm. I think that that would be an amazing series and I think that it it could be an upset. Like I would not be shocked to see that as an upset. So I think I'm very confident going in. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm favoring them. I'm all, but I think I favor them to get to the playoffs. Um, and I think that they pretend they have the potential to do some damage. I would be shocked if they if they got the Lakers and upset them. But I, I do also know that LeBron and the Lakers do not want to play Damian Lillard and the Blazers. They would much rather play a young team like the Pelicans, like the Grizzlies, uh, even if they have quote unquote more talent in particular positions. Uh, neither of those teams have Damian Lillard. Neither of those teams have a guy who has absolutely eviscerated franchises uh, in the playoffs yeah. uh, and done things that, you know, you know what, maybe a dozen NBA players have, have done in the history of the game by, you know, dropping a 50 piece in a series clinching game. Um, so yeah, I mean that everybody knows Dame is a top what seven player in the league now. Um, and in the playoffs, that's what matters. So, and as much crap as I've given CJ McCollum for being kind of like that flatline guy during the regular season, the last couple of years, he's performed his ass off in the playoffs. I mean, yeah. What he, he I mean, against, he, if it weren't for him, we would have yeah. not made it the Western Conference Finals yeah, last year. I mean, what so. he did against Denver was was incredible. It, it truly was. Yeah. Um, so you, you've got two guys who literally have proven track records of being able to take over a game and take over a series. What CJ did against Denver and what Dame did against Oklahoma City. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I could I, see Nurk. I, I could see a situation where Nurk comes out and does that as well. Not to the extent, but I think like just when, in he, the minutes when he has his days where he yeah, like his quote unquote, like the dames where he's had the crazy stat stat mm-hmm. lines where it's kind of like it's it's different when a when a guy like that takes over a dame. Sure, um, but I can see him having moments like that. And the reality is, you either have Yusuf Nurkic or Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench, and you either have Carmelo Anthony or Zach Collins coming off the bench. So you've got a just a metric ton of size coming off the yeah. bench, uh, and then we've got. You know, when you look at it, you've got a young guy like Gary Trent Jr. who was playing incredibly well, uh, yeah. who looked like he was emerging, and, and you could see him being in there. And this is something I've hinted at, and yes, he's my guy, and yes, I support the living hell out of him. But 
you could see Anthony Simons, who is going to be at home in Orlando, feeling a lot more comfortable and reinvigorated and put back in a position where his sole job to, on the floor is to go get buckets. If all of a sudden, just think about that. You have Whiteside or Nurkic or uh, Collins or Mello out there on the floor off the bench when those guys are out there. Now your bench consists of Anthony, Gary, you know, either Hassan or, or Nurk or Zach or Mello, and then insert whoever you want uh, at the forward yeah. position as, as you kind of juggle it or you stagger Damon CJ and slide, you know, um, and of the two and Gary up to three with the, the uh, elite size you now have coming off the bench. And I think you could see the young guys have or Nasir. I mean, you've got Nas out there too, who yeah. now you've got a lot more options. Your 10 man rotation certainly looks a lot better when you toss in your starting forward, starting five again. Yeah. And, and that is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because what has been the storyline from Blazers fans all year? Well, they, they underperformed not because of injuries, but the counter argument to that was always, well, you only had Zach for two games and Nurk was never there. So how much were they really worth? You know, how much more could they impact? How much this, that, and the other. Now you get to see that on the floor. How much yeah. is Zach Collins worth? How much is Yusuf Nurkic worth? How much is it, does it mean to have that Dame Nurk pick and roll again? Like how different does the offense look? How different does the defense look? And I think those, those questions to me matter more than win or loss as, as crazy yeah. as that sounds. Cause I'm team, you know, win every game because of where Portland is right now with the salary cap, with who's coming back, who's not, uh, how they need to get things done, the return of Rodney hood, how those things play out and the development of the young guys and how things come together and what was supposed to be a full size team for the first time all year. I think that's the most interesting thing of all of this. Yeah. I think what's, what's interesting too, is that like Portland has the most questions out of every team coming mm -hmm. in this to this, which in a way I think can energize them a lot. Like we've seen it with, especially with Dame, like the more you doubt him, the better Back he does. On the shoulders. Yeah. All so the it's chips. like, yeah. And I think that a lot of those players, I think Dame helps spread that energy to everyone. So I think mm -hmm. that like this, the couple weeks before these dames start, I think that they're going to come in just, they're going to come in ready as far as like, we want to prove everyone want Ron. We want to put this conversation to an end that, cause you know, a lot of people were, were giving the blazers a lot of heat and were not even talking about the injuries. They were just talking mm -hmm. about all this. So I think they want to come out and be like, yeah. yeah, like, Oh, see, it was a fluke that they made it to the Western conference final. Like they did it without Nurk then. And so it was a fluke and all this. And I think they're going to come out and they, they have a lot to prove. And I think that they all have kind of the temperament to get that energy and just pull it together and go out there and do it. And so I think they're, they're by far the most, I think the most energized team going out there. All right, and so I think it's going to be mo the most interesting. We've got Kendall with the Blazers will be the most energized team who wouldn't be shocked if she, if they upset the Lakers in the playoffs and is <laughs> not favoring them. I'm just saying it is unabashedly team Nurkic, which are the things that we support here uh, endlessly. Uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you for coming on with us, Kendall. I, I do appreciate it. Um, tell everybody out there where they can find you, how they can find your work, what you're doing, social media, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let me, I don't even know what my Twitter name is. <laughs> um, I haven't said it in so long that 
yeah, um, so you can find me on Twitter at Kendall Bennett 16. Um, that's really the only place that I post a lot of basketball stuff, but, but yeah. Well, cool. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, folks, if you want to give her a follow, just head over to Twitter and I don't know, I'll, I'll probably put the, uh, the link in the, in the podcast on the, on the site. Uh, do have a little bit of news regarding Blazers Outsiders. Joe and I have had conversations. It looks like we will be returning to cover these games. Not sure what's going on with the playoffs yet, but uh, in some facet or another, whether we're doing it from our homes or perhaps in the studio, uh, we're still getting guidance from the overlords at NBC to see which way this is going to go. Uh, until then, you can find me on all social media at Danny Maring at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G. Uh, and when Blazers Basketball returns on NBC Sports Northwest, following every game with my friend and co-host Joe Simons. Kendall, thanks again for joining us. Uh, again, folks, I don't say it enough, but please like, follow, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. I don't promote it. I'm terrible at it, but that's what allows us to kind of grow the podcast and generate the ad revenue so I can keep doing this and spending hours and hours and hours and not getting paid for it. So again, thanks, Kendall. Appreciate it. For everybody else out there, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.